You can cause a lot of hurt for yourself and for the people around you if you have the wrong idea about God. Now, I know that's a pretty bold statement and it might even feel offensive to hear. Like, who are you to teach me about God? Maybe you're not sure you even believe in God or you think God is just a concept created by human beings or you believe in something less personal like the idea of karma or some greater force in the universe. Or maybe you don't think about God much at all. In fact, maybe you think it matters more what we think about ourselves as individuals than what we think about God or even what God might think about us. Maybe all of this God stuff feels just unknowable and so you don't give much thought to it. Well, if that's the case, can I ask you to just stick with us for a little bit longer? Because here at Community Christian Anywhere, we believe that there is a God who created you and me and that he made himself knowable to us through the person of Jesus Christ. Now. Again, that may sound like a pretty silly idea for rational adults to buy into. The God of the universe making himself knowable through a Jewish carpenter who lived in a small, poor part of the world 2,000 years before the internet or global news media corporations? Wouldn't there be a better way of getting the word out about the existence of God than that strategy? And honestly, if that question intrigues you, I hope you'll consider not only watching this video, but investigating our community because that's precisely what those of us at Community Christian believe happened in the first century through the life of Jesus. And we're a group of fairly sane, rational adults who would say that we have found a life of peace and rest and joy in following Jesus, who was once asked by his followers to show them what God the Father was like, and he said, the Father and I are alike, the same. If you have seen me, you've seen the Father. And that's a bold claim that needs to be backed up with some pretty big evidence. And we believe the death and resurrection of Jesus are that evidence. Now, we don't have time in this video to answer all the questions you may have about the death and resurrection of Jesus. But if you have questions, I want to encourage you to reach out by texting the number on screen any questions you might have. Our teaching team would love to walk with you through any questions you might have because we believe that what you think about God really matters. And it even matters what you think God thinks about you. And you don't need to worry if you're not sure what you think about God right now, because we believe no matter what you think about God, he can't stop thinking about you. He's for you and he only has good things in mind for your life. And throughout this video, we want you to catch a glimpse of some of the good God has in store for you. Hi, my name is Benjamin and welcome to Community Christian Anywhere. So we're looking at one of the most famous stories Jesus told. And the reason he told the story was to help people who had a wrong idea about who mattered to God. Now, that wrong idea really grew out of the wrong idea they had about God. This story is recorded for us in the New Testament in a book called Luke. And it starts because the religious leaders can't believe that Jesus is hanging out with people who are so far from God. They mutter and say, why does this holy man eat with these people? So in that context, he told a couple of stories. First, he told a story about a woman who had 10 coins and lost one of her coins. And because those coins represented her entire wealth, she turned her house upside down to find the one that she'd lost. 
And then he told a story about a shepherd that had a hundred sheep, 99 of them were safe and sound, and there was this one that was lost, and the shepherd went to great lengths to find the one that was lost. But then the last story Jesus tells, he raises the stakes. He doesn't talk about a coin or a sheep. The final story is about a father who lost a son. Last week, we talked about the incredible, generous nature of the Father, and that teaches us something important about God. So if you didn't hear that, you should look on YouTube or Facebook and catch up with that. But this week, we're talking about the younger brother. He's the second character mentioned in this story. So here's the way the story goes. Luke 15, verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. Now, I, I gotta remind you, the whole point of this story is not that God's like a father who has this unconditional love for his son. That's a part, but not all. Remember, this story is told to respond to the muttering of the religious leaders. The story is for them. He wants them to see that they've been blind to who God really is and how they've been seeing God has made them narrow and very self-righteous. But their view of God was a half view of God and it was destroying their souls and it's affecting the people's lives around them. There's a man who had two sons and the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property with them. So the son comes to his father and we can't even understand what that would be like because we, we don't think of inheritance in the same way. Well, most of us don't think like, my parents owe me an inheritance. <laughs> but this younger brother came to the dad and said, essentially, dad, I'd be better off if you were dead. I mean, I don't need you, but I could sure use the stuff that you're keeping me from by you still being here. He couldn't stand the thought of living as the son of a wealthy father. He still enjoyed the blessings of being under the supervision of this father. He, he wanted to make his own decisions. He wanted to have full control of his life and all of his father's blessings. And to everyone, to their surprise, the father does exactly what the boy asks. So the boy says, see ya, to his dad, to his family, to his home. And he sets out on his own with his portion of the family's wealth. Jesus said, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, which was all that had been given to him by his father. And he sets off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. Not long ago, I was reading this section uh, by a great theologian, Dr. Esau McCauley, and he helped me see something I'd really missed. I missed it, I think, because of my own life story and really because of my culture. The part I always remembered was where Jesus says, he squandered his money in wild living and began to be in need. But Dr. McCauley, who grew up really poor, points out the detail I'd always just overlooked. Jesus intentionally says, there's a famine in the land after he squanders his money. Now, we know this is a parable. So it's not like Jesus is telling a true story. So he doesn't have to include this detail about the famine. The boy still winds up broke. He's still in trouble. So why include the famine? Well. I believe it's because this was a circumstances that was totally out of the young man's control. And it was the circumstances beyond him that ultimately caused him to hit rock bottom. Yeah, he'd made bad choices, 
For sure, he could have done a lot of things differently. His choices didn't help him at all. But when we're making choices, we all like to think, and whatever the consequences are, I'll handle that. I'm in control. I make the decisions. I can control the consequences. I mean, how many times have you said to yourself, I got this, I'm good, I can handle it. And then something outside of your control reminds you, I don't have it, I actually don't have it. A severe famine was in the whole country and he began to be in need. He was at rock bottom. Most of us, we only hit rock bottom when we don't have any other choices. When you're left with no place to turn. Rock bottom happens when you got nowhere else to go. And that's where this younger son got because of the famine. Now here's what anyone listening to Jesus tell this story had to be thinking. This could have all been prevented if he had just stayed under his father's provision. He didn't have to get to this place. We can probably assume that this same famine that hit this distant land probably also hit the father's estate as well. But the workers that were employed by the father, they were still eating and living indoors because they were under the master's supervision. They were under the care and provision of the father. But it got so bad for this young man that he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the field to feed pigs? Now, it's hard for us to understand how repulsed this crowd would have been by this statement that a Jewish man would be feeding pigs. In their culture, this would have been despicable. It would have been embarrassing for the family and embarrassing for the parents. Jesus even says he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And in that moment, the harsh reality of his decisions had caught up with him. He had longed for freedom, to do what he wanted when he wanted. And it led him to starving and begging for pig slop. And that's because we all know there's just no such thing as ultimate freedom. This independent life we all dream of, a self-autonomous, self-directed, independently wealthy, I make my own decisions and I'm not accountable to anyone kind of life is a fantasy. It doesn't exist. And as we're going to find in this younger brother's story, the greatest independence he finds is found being dependent on the Father. And for you and me, the greatest independence that we can have is found when we're dependent on the one who owns it all, the one who invites us to call him Father. So here's the question for you and me. Why do we run? Why do so many of us have this thing in us that just wants to run? Now. For some of you, that doesn't describe you at all. You might be listening and thinking, not me. I love rules. I love knowing what's expected of me. I'm a rule follower. You're like the older brother in the story, and you look at people that have gone off to a distant land looking, and you think, looking for what? What are you looking for? Whatever it is, you're not gonna find it out there. So you stay close to home and do the right thing. And if you aren't careful, that's your thought about God. You think, you do the right thing, and then God is cool with you. God is a being who wants you to do the right thing, so just do it. And that's just as dangerous a thought. And we'll come back to that idea next time. But others of us are like, I don't want that. That sounds so boring. It sounds restricting. It sounds like death, which is why maybe you went off to a distant land or you're on the way there now because you think life with the Father just sounds boring. And that's because ultimately, we don't understand the love of the Father. And when we don't understand who God is, who our Father is, we're all tempted to run away from home. 
One of the things that's new to me in ministry over the last year is the conversations I wind up having with people virtually. Uh, there's a project we're working on with other churches where we respond to people's questions that are at the end of these online videos that people find when they're looking for help with all kinds of things. A few weeks ago, one of them came from a video uh, called What Keeps You Up at Night, and it was sent in at 2.42 a.m. The man who sent the response uh, said what was keeping up was his relationship with his wife. So I responded and I said I'd pray and offered that we had some online marriage help if he thought that would help. And often, to be honest, we don't hear anything back after we pray, but this time the man responded and said, I don't know if it'd help, I'm, I'm in between two. And I thought he'd sort of gotten cut off and I said, two what? And he said, two women. And then he told me the story. He'd watched the video from the couch in the living room because that's where he was sleeping. He's in the house with his wife and his two kids, but his wife's found out that he's having an affair and she wants him to choose. And until he chooses, he can't come back into their room. He went on to say that he knew he'd messed up and he didn't know what to do and where to turn. So I said, you know, as I told you, I'm a pastor. Are you a follower of Jesus? And he said, I screwed that up too. I used to be, but now I can't even pray. I said, what do you think God thinks about you in this situation? And he texted back, I, I think he's so frustrated with me. It just makes me sad. I mean, I can understand why he feels that way. I've been there. In fact, some of you may be joining in today and that's the way you think about God, the way he feels about you. Or you've been there because you hope he won't feel that way about you. So many people think if God had an emoji to represent him, it'd be the one with the hand over the face. The way God feels about me, he thinks, hey, come on, get it together, you moron. You know better than this, what are you doing? That conversation and others I've had remind me that without a proper view of the Father, I'll always be tempted to run away from home. When we miss the Father's heart, we'll always end up away from home. Just like this younger son had. He missed how the Father actually felt about it. I mean, we see it in this next scene, Jesus says, he comes to his senses, which doesn't necessarily mean he had a heart change. It just may mean he didn't have anywhere else to go. But when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. Even now, as he gets up to return, he, he has this incomplete idea about his father. He thinks if he goes back that his father might be generous enough to let him work there. But he has no idea the truth could be that what it really is gonna be. So he says, I'll set out and I'll go back to my father and I will say to him, and then he writes this uh, little speech. And I want you to notice his speech because I think inside of it is something that a whole lot of us relate to. He starts with, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. What he's expressing is sorrow over what he's messed up. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I mean, if we, we really want to be Christian about it, he, what he's done is he's repented and he's confessed. I've been in this place, not just with God, but with my father and not just my father, but my wife and my kids. I messed up and what I did hurt you. I've sinned against you, but it's more than that. I recognize I sinned against heaven as well. I know what I did was against the way the world's supposed to work. I, I knew and I did it and I'm sorry. 
Now in part, when we do that, we do it because it's right, but we also know we've hurt the other person and most likely they're angry. In fact, when some of you think about how God thinks about you, that's what you think. You think God's angry. I mean, he has to be. How could he not be? And maybe what keeps you away from him is that you feel like he's angry with you. The boy continues his speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. You can see him opening up the door to shame, to embarrassment. Now, I know what it's like to be told that you're bringing shame on the family. Maybe you've had a parent that cared way more about your last name than they did about your first name. Cared more about keeping up the perception of the way it looks, the way we do it. But in this case, we'll see all the shame. It didn't come from the Father. This was all in the Son. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me like one of your hired servants. I, I just need to come back. I don't know why we run. There's something off in the relationship and it might be on our side or it's mutual. It doesn't really matter. But we run because the relationship isn't strong enough to hold on to us. And then we stay gone for the same reason. The reason we don't come back is for the same reason because of our perspective, what kind of father God really is. What is God really like? Maybe we run because we have misconceptions about God, but maybe we stay away because we have misconceptions about God. And at this point, when the boy says his little speech, remember, this speech, this story, it's for the religious leaders that Jesus is telling this. They're so off on how they see God, but the truth is, many of the other people are off too. And maybe so are you. So lean in right now. Listen as Jesus shows us what the Father is really like. And I always have to read this part out loud several times because it's, it's so emotional for me. This is what God is really like. The son finally comes to his senses. He prepares his speech. He starts to walk and then the most beautiful words. But while he was still a long way off, while he was still a long way off, you know what that means, right? It means the dad never stopped waiting and watching. That the dad had never stopped hoping. That dad always had one eye on the road. Maybe finally when he went to sleep, his first move every mo morning was to walk around checking all the rooms, going out to the barns to see if this had been the night that he'd come home. And every night when he went to bed, I imagine him leaving one light on thinking, tonight could be the night. Maybe tonight's the night. Now I wanna say something here because some people have children who are far off and they listen to this and they think they need to apply it to parenting. I just need to say to you, Jesus isn't giving parenting advice here. He didn't tell this story because someone said, hey, tell us how to handle wayward children. Jesus t is telling us what God is like. He's a father that never gives up hope. So while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. And then that compassion caused him to do something. And it's something that no one in his culture would ever do. The dad takes off running toward his son. Think about it. 
He's wearing some kind of a tunic, which means he's got to hike up his skirt to run to his son. It was so undignified to do it. But the father doesn't care because he's so excited to see his son. He pulls up his tunic and he just takes off running. And when he got there, he wraps his arm around his son and he hugs him and he kisses him. And before the boy could start his speech, father, I've sinned against the father. is like, who cares? You're home. He calls the servants and he says, bring the best robe, put it on him. Bring a ring, put it on his finger. Bring the sandals, put it on his feet. I want everyone to know that he's back under my provision and he's in my blessing. He's still part of the family. Bring that fat calf that we've been holding on for the special occasion. This is it. Let's have a party. Let's celebrate. My son is home. Now, if you're hearing that and you're thinking, I know you said it wasn't parenting advice, but that's the way you train people to think that they can get away with anything. And that's not the way you handle that. I mean, he didn't even apologize. If there's any of that in you, well, Jesus' story isn't done yet. There's another brother in this story, and you're probably going to like him a lot. So be with us for the end of this conversation next week, and we'll talk about that. But for this week, I just want to remind you, Jesus was trying to get people to see a picture of what God is really like. Would you take just a moment and marvel at the love of this Father? Would you allow yourself to experience the beauty of the love of the Father and just know that no matter who you are, you are welcome to come back home. I hope that throughout this video, you got a better glimpse at who God is. And by seeing Him as a Father who loves and gives unconditionally, you see yourself in a new light. You're not just a runaway. You're not a disappointment or a failure. You're a dearly loved son or daughter of a good, good father who is waiting for you to come home. And all you have to do is turn to him. And if you wanna talk about what that means, can I encourage you to text the words next step to the number on screen? Someone from our teaching team would love to reach out to you and talk with you about what your first step in coming back to your heavenly father looks like. You haven't gone too far. You haven't done too much. You are loved just as you are. So please don't hesitate to text right now. And never forget the most important truth you can take with you today. No matter what you think about God, He can't stop thinking about you.